Good evening, everybody. How are you all doing on this most frightful of evenings? I'm Michael. I'm joined by Alex, as always. Hello. I did not know we were going to do Halloween voices, so I had nothing prepared. <laughs> ha! <laughs> and that's perfectly fine, because this is an episode of Fallen Through Plot Holes, a podcast about video game plot lines, and now they have a tendency to go off the rails. Can you see I can't even stick with a bit for longer than 30 seconds? That's great. It's, it's fine. You know, <laughs> it, it was a good bit. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, so welcome to our Halloween episode, everybody. Hope you all are, um, well, when you all are listening to this, it's going to be two days after Halloween, but uh, I hope you're having a good Halloween right now in the past as you're <laughs> not listening to this because it's being recorded. Hope that's going great. Hope, hope you all have fun costumes and everything. I, I did. I was a knight. It was rad. I saw it. It was pretty good. It was a pretty good costume. Yeah, I'm very excited for today's episode, Alex. But first, how are you doing? How are you feeling today? I'm doing pretty good. Good, pretty, good. Pretty good. mellow Halloween so far. Yeah, same here. Same here. It's actually sunny where we're at. And yeah. there's like, I, I live in a place that actually might have trick or cheaters, which is weird. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's actually a lot of kids around here. I'm like excited about the possibility of handing out candy. I'm like, huh. all right, it's going to be great. But you know, on Halloween, Alex, I like to think of the spookiest possible things, and I wanted to do an episode that was going to be the maximum amount of spooky. That makes As sense you, to me. Yeah, so you probably think, okay, we're going to do something that's like related to like Castlevania or Darkstalkers or something, right? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, not, not quite. Instead, we're going to do something that's even scarier. All right. Alex, what's your opinion of the band Kiss? Oh, boy. Uh, <laughs> my opinion is their music is fine. That's the essence of my opinion. <laughs> you know, you're much nicer about Kiss than I am. <laughs> I, um, think, I think I, I they're think, lame as hell. Yeah, yeah, they're kind of lame. And, like, their whole aesthetic is this weird, like, super cheesy, dark pseudo edgy aesthetic but then their music is really not that no it is the most pop rock thing imaginable yeah so i'm like okay you you really didn't match the visuals with the audios in this entire band but okay yeah no not not in the least not in the least well alex what if i told you that they put out a really terrible video game that wouldn't surprise me even a little bit. Oh, it's it's something a little bit special. But before we get to that, I guess we should probably talk about Kiss a little bit for the, the people out there in the audience who may not be familiar with them. So Kiss was a band that was formed in 1972 and is actually one of the most popular, longest running bands of all time. Like they actually have the record for like the most um, gold albums released. Mm. And I think they have like four platinum albums or something like that. Very successful band. Point right. Being. They are prolific. I'll give them that. They are incredibly prolific and are still touring to this day. Yep. No plans to quit until 2023, if I remember correctly. Hmm. Yeah. So consisting originally of four members, uh, Paul Stanley, Gene Simmons, Peter Chris, and Ace Freely, this band was known for three things. Uh, the first that we've already kind of alluded to is that each member had adopted like a different persona all clad in, like, spiky silver and black armor, platform shoes, while wearing, like, elaborate black and white face paint. And uh, each of these personas, and this is important to know, uh, include the demon, which is Gene Simmons, you know, angry demon who breathes fire. 
the star child who's like the lover boy uh which is played by paul stanley the space ace which is ace freely's and the cat man which is peter chris's i feel like this is a vtuber group like 50 years before vtubers were real and they had no idea how to do that right so they just played rock music instead yeah kind of kind of like what they did at the time actually was very um was very unexpected and very like original like yeah. um like gene simmons went on to a talk show like in the 70s to kind of like talk about their band a little bit like he announced himself as the demon he was like coming for their souls and like nobody knew how to really react to that right like it was it was like a really strange sort of thing this man's freaking role-playing to an audience well what do we do with that yeah, because everybody was a little too serious, a little bit too straight-laced back then. Right. So they were known for that, and they were also known for their very elaborate live shows and their relentless touring. Like, I saw, like, a tour schedule that they had from the 70s, and they they were literally playing, like, nightly shows for, like, six nights straight, and then they would have a night off so they could go to another state, and they'd do, like, another six shows in a row. God, yeah. That's, yeah, and that's intense. It is. And, like, they're constantly, like, you know, yelling and screaming and, like, dancing around doing everything. So, like, they were – they hustled. Mm-hmm. And it gets even crazier when you, you realize these shows were setting a new standard. They were known for their excessive pyrotechnics. Mm-hmm. Like, stuff like uh, Gene Simmons breathing fire, guitars being shredded on so hard they would burst into flames because they would have, like, smoke bombs in them. Right. And, like, just, like, elaborate, like, lights and everything. And these day shows were incredibly popular. Uh, they were also incredibly expensive, mm. and in the seventies, they weren't quite a big band at the time. Right. So they needed a bunch of extra crew and equipment, and this unfortunately almost bankrupted uh, not only Kiss the band but the record label as well. <laughs> <laughs> but the good news is the third thing they were known for saved them from being completely insolvent. They are maybe the greatest sellouts in the history of music. Yeah, maybe. Now, I'm not going to get too much deeper into the history of KISS past this, but I will say that this quote I found from the blog, Past Prime, describes them very well. They are a corporation first, and they are a band second. (laughs) Now, this quote seems pretty mean, but it points once again to one of the really big innovations that KISS brought to the table. They knew how to merchandise everything about themselves. Mm. As alluded to earlier, KISS survived off their live shows, and since these uh, shows drew large crowds, that meant they had a large audience to sell to. And sell they did, selling Mm. everything they possibly could. This consisted of stuff that you would expect, like, hey, their latest album or a t-shirt. Right. uh, To stuff like KISS-branded bubblegum, trading cards, lunchboxes, makeup kits, and the like. Mm -hmm. However, the real magic came from outside of these shows, where... Literally anything you could think of would have the KISS branding slapped on it. You could, for instance, get the KISS cereal, play the KISS pinball machine, buy yourself a KISS casket, spelled with a K, for your grandpa (laughs) or yourself. (laughs) Get KISS condoms, because even in the bedroom, you needed to declare your undying love to the band. You could even enlist in the KISS Army fan club for $5 a year alongside such luminaries like Condoleezza Rice. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, okay, I wasn't expecting Condoleezza Rice to be part of this KISS episode, but... Yeah, I wasn't either. <laughs> Here we <laughs> apparently, are. Apparently she's a member of the KISS Army. All right, and fair enough. You can even buy KISS air guitar strings. 
Which, Alex, uh, I want you to think about that for a second. I'm thinking. I'm thinking as hard as I can. <laughs> I don't know what that is. It is literally just a blank plastic bag that is sealed with, like, you know, Kiss branding at the top. Right. That was, sell- that was selling for $3 a pop. Okay. Yep. And apparently right. they sold like gangbusters. You know what? I probably would have bought it. That's the thing. That's a good bit. That's the thing. Like I was telling my girlfriend this. Like yeah, like four years ago, I probably would have been one of those people. Like, oh, oh, this is funny. Look at this. (laughs) And yeah, gave him like three bucks for for literally just an empty plastic package. Yeah. Yeah, and it really speaks just how good like their marketing team and themselves are as far as just like selling themselves. Yep. Like I think they were earning. They earned something like over like a hundred million dollars over the course of like their band's lifetime on like merchandise sales alone. Damn. Like, yeah, they did real, real good. Yeah. But of course, if Kiss is gonna sell you a product that literally doesn't exist, it wasn't much of a stretch that they would sell you a video game as well. And so in the year two thousand, a really awful first person shooter was released for the Sega Dreamcast and the Windows PC called oh Kiss God. Colon Psycho Circus Colon The Nightmare Child. Which, if you have to have two colons in your title, you need to rework that. Yeah. <laughs> Alex, have you ever heard of Kiss colon Psycho Circus colon The Nightmare Child? I actually haven't. This one's a complete blind spot to me. Oh, I don't man. know this game. Like, I was expecting a Super Nintendo platformer, to be honest. Or, or oh, no, yeah. a more likely a Genesis platformer. <laughs> you know, yeah, Genesis platform, definitely. Definitely. But Dreamcast FPS was not what I was expecting. Oh, there's going to be a lot about this episode you are not going to be expecting because, oh my God, this is go places. Oh, man. Anyways, I'm not surprised you have it because this game came and went very quickly for reasons that should be plainly obvious. No one wanted to play a sub-Quake 1 level shooter in <laughs> 2000 starring the least hardcore band of the 23rd century not named U2. Yeah. However, I have always found this game to be fascinating. It's like ever since I read about it in the like, pages of Electronic Gaming Monthly. Mm-hmm. Because it was, even back then I was like, this, why does this thing exist? And really, there's no real reason it should. Because to start, it's a ridiculous concept. Uh, in short, what this game is about is you play as four members of a KISS tribute band who okay. sort of out of nowhere get imbued with the power of KISS, both okay. the band and the godly avatars of the elements that they somehow are. Mm-hmm. You are then tasked to gather their pieces of armor together and destroy the Nightmare Child and his minion of clowns and other grotesque creatures that clearly were just reject character designs from Todd McFarlane's spawn. Right. I cannot understand why Take-Two Interactive published this game. Um, well, they published the PC version. Mm. Dreamcast version was published by the Gathering Developers. Oh, uh, Who was later bought by Take-Two, so they, they kind of published both. But And even the studio that created the game, Third Law Interactive, feels like it shouldn't exist. And let's talk about the development of this game a little bit, because it's funny. Yeah, so... I, I bet it is. <laughs> so... In short, first off, have you heard of Third Law Interactive? I have not, no. Oh, it's real good. So, they were formed from the team members from the then slowly dissolving developer Ion Storm. Oh. In fact, many of the developers at Third Law had previous experience working on Daikatana. 
Oh. And if you all don't remember what Daikatana was, it was the ill-fated first-person shooter that um, was headed by John Romero. It was going to be the biggest thing in the world, and it was maybe the biggest mess ever created, at least in the 90s. Yeah. Cyberpunk 2077 now exists, so I guess it's going to probably take that crown. Probably, yeah. One could maybe argue Duke Nukem Forever took that crown at some point. Ooh, yeah. Yeah, actually, you're probably right about that. But back in the 90s, Daikatana was, like, number one as far as, like, the punchline in the video game industry. Yeah, pretty much uh, created and then killed Ion Storm. Pretty much. And so, yeah, all those developers worked on that game, and then they left to go form Third Law. And boy, did they really want you to forget that they were associated <laughs> with this game in the first place? In fact, there's, like, a really fun interview that's on um, GameSpot that uh, they were talking with, like, a marketing manager around the year 2000. She's giving an interview. Mm-hmm. And he asked her about Daikatana, like, what lessons they learned from that. And she immediately, like, the first thing she says, like, hey, I wasn't associated with that. Right. Like, I... I also, uh, they need to make sure they make their deadlines. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. So every interview I could find about the development of this game is that it went smoothly. Uh, they talk about how Gene Simmons apparently uh, was very heavily involved, mm. but that also seems to be involved in the sense of they sent him like messages like, hey, what do you think about this? There's a arachna clown as an <laughs> enemy, which is exactly what it sounds like. Right. And he's like, rad. And then they just kind of kept going along with it. Now, they eventually got the game all put together and got ready for a release. And this is my favorite bit. They held a rap party for um, not only the developers of the game, but for press as well. Okay. Uh, kind of also to show off the other things they were like working on at the time as well. Mm-hmm. And they made sure to announce that, hey, Gene Simmons and Paul Stanley are going to be there. And uh-huh. on GameSpot, there is a video... And it's two minutes and 30 seconds long that I'm not going to show you because I guess in an effort to preserve the authenticity of downloading a two minute, 30 second video at 360p in the year 2000 takes absolutely forever to load, no matter what computer <laughs> you use, what web browser or what have you. Uh... But it, if you do manage to get this up and actually playing has the song Rock and Roll All Night continuously playing. Of course, because it's the only Kiss song most people can think of off the top of their heads. Exactly. It's the only one you know. And it shows, like, a bunch of, like, developers just, like, awkwardly standing around. Mm -hmm. Very slight footage of Kiss Psycho Circus. A lot more footage of a port of Railroad Tycoon for the Dreamcast. Mm -hmm. And then, in the best bit... Gene Simmons and Paul Stanley show up, decked out in their kiss gear. Uh-huh. See the crowd that's awaiting them. And like Gene has like a look on his face like he does not want to be there. <laughs> and they immediately leave. Oh, that's classic Gene. <laughs> oh, it is. And the best part is like the press release for it afterwards is like, yeah, Gene and Simmons and Paul Stanley got there. And once they saw their adoring fans, were immediately rushed away by security to a hotel where only a few people were allowed to hang out with them. <laughs> So yeah, they immediately saw that and went, we don't want to hang out with any of these idiots, and they yeah. just left. Yeah. <laughs> that that <laughs> sounds on brand. Yep. It's the saddest video I've seen, and I absolutely love it. So this game came out, and you know, the third law kind of went under shortly afterwards, and that mm. really should be about the end of it. And so this would be about the part I also start talking about the plot of the game. Mm-hmm. However, Alex, I have a confession to make. 
Uh-huh. This game's plot is very, very slight. You see, besides what I've already mentioned, there's like only some references to avatars of elements, like an old fortune teller woman, a vague mention of a circus. <laughs> like, literally, it's like they vaguely mention a circus. Right. Okay. Is, is that it, circus dark in quality? It is perhaps some sort of psycho circus, yes. Yeah. You see, it's clear from the, like the decent amount of voice acting that's all throughout the game and an opening cutscene that there's supposed to be like a bit more to this, but they just either didn't have time or just didn't particularly care to put all those elements in there. Mm-hmm. Like literally every stage has like the uh, fortune teller lady whose name is uh, Madame Raven, like talking to you throughout it. And it's like, okay, so there clearly was supposed to be more about this. Right. You're clearly supposed to know, like, who the heck even a nightmare child is and why this thing is important. Right. Because the whole whole goal of the game is to kill it. So, Alex, I had a choice to make. Mm-hmm. I could either punt on this and do something else, or I could spend the better part of the week immersing myself in everything about and around this game. And, Alex, I chose poorly. <laughs> So, so the implication then being that there is more around this game to discuss. There is so much more. Oh, no. Oh, no, indeed. Alex, in order for you to understand my mistake and also understand what Kiss Psycho Circus is about, we need to talk about Kiss's foray in the comic books. Oh, no. <laughs> is this a cross-media project? Yes. Oh, yes, it is. No. <laughs> and if this was anything other than like a Halloween special episode, I'd have been like, well, we need to do something else. But I was like, <laughs> no, no, we have to do this. I must know what the nightmare child is. <laughs> so, Alex, have you ever read any of the Kiss comic books? I have not. Did you know there's a lot of Kiss comic books? I didn't know that explicitly, but I think I always assumed in my heart. And, you know, it would have been a safe assumption to make. Because, you see, unsurprisingly, Kiss saw an opportunity to market themselves via comics and earn a nice chunk of money. Yeah, yeah, that's a a solid bet. Now, there was one downside to this problem. Mm -hmm. The band Kiss, the members, hated comic books. Hmm. Except for Gene Simmons, who loved them. Okay, that that checks out in a lot of ways. It does. And given that he was kind of like their de facto leader and whatnot, right. he was more than happy to team up with Marvel Comics for a crossover, where Kiss, now superpowered, would appear in various comics, starting with, of all things, the 12th issue of Howard the Duck. That is such a weird pick, but also severely appropriate. It is. I love the fact that it was Howard the Duck of all things. <laughs> it's like, okay, sure. Yeah. I, I think, and I think it was like 1978 when this happened. Uh, okay. So like, it was. This was already well after Kiss has been established and was like a successful band. So they theoretically could have gotten like a more popular comic, but for some reason, it was Howard the Duck. I'm gonna I'm, assume Gene Simmons loved Howard the Duck. I would 100 percent believe that actually. <laughs> <laughs> so this was successful enough that. On and off for the next 20 years, they would show up in various specials and have like limited run comics from Marvel Mm. where they would either be themselves, superheroes, or both. Mm. My personal favorite, though, is like, and I'm going to actually show this to you. I'm going to have to share my screen with you real quickly. And of course, I will have all of this on uh, the media page for the the podcast episode. But this is this is going to be really this one's going to be real, real good. 
I'm I'm excited. So my personal favorite one though, Alex, uh-huh. is gonna be this particular panel. This is um this is a panel from when uh they fought God. Oh. Yeah, and uh Gene Simmons um melts a bunch of uh cherubs. With his fire breath. Yeah, and man, Paul Stanley's like real sad about it too. Right. <laughs> now it turns out they ended up being demons, but that, my point being is that <laughs> it's it takes some humorous to have a, yeah. have a panel where you're fighting God. <laughs> yeah, boy, it sure does. <laughs> oh man, this is oh man. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's it's so good. It's so good. And they, like these crossovers would continue up until like 1996, 1997. Uh, they Marvel actually ended up releasing a like monthly fan magazine called Kiss Nation. <laughs> yeah, and like it would give you like details about the band and whatnot because it was just like around the time we all got back together, like right. they had broken up briefly. And uh, my favorite thing about it though is it even featured a team up in there that I desperately want to read sometime—a mm-hmm. forty-five page comic where Kiss meets the X Men, and it's written by Stan Lee. Oh Lord! Yeah, Which that sounds terrible. It sounds that sounds like the worst ever in the best possible way. Mm-hmm. It really does, and I'm so excited about it. I I could not find it. If I could have found it, I would have told you all about it. But I couldn't, and I hope one day to rectify that mistake. So, in 1997, Gene Simmons had grown tired of Marvel, and uh, more importantly, had become like a big fan of Spawn. <sighs> okay, so. The phrase in 1997, person had become tired of Marvel, is extremely reasonable. Yes. Marvel in the 90s was something to grow tired of. Yes, it was. However, immediately followed up by and had become a big fan of Spawn is both ridiculous and extremely appropriate mm-hmm. for Gene Simmons. Like, yeah. yeah. Yeah, of course he did. Oh, yes, of course. <laughs> Yeah, so he's like, yeah, oh, God, yeah, no, Mar- <laughs> comic books in the mid-90s are just terrible, like, Bad. across the board. Yep. I think this was, like, the eighth Spider-Man clone arc or something was going on then, and yeah. Oh, uh, just- yes, the Scarlet Spider. I still have some issues related to that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Both comic issues and also mental issues. Yes. But, um... <laughs> So yeah, when it came time for him to like continue a partnership with Marvel, he decided instead to sign with Todd McFarlane Productions and in turn Image Comics. Oh boy. Alex, are you familiar with Image Comics? I sure am. <laughs> you um, wanna tell tell us a little bit about them? So as as I understand it, um in the nineties, a number of artists in the comic book industry because the way just to to lay some groundwork uh american comics are generally created by a team of people typically you have your your lead writer um and then your main artist and then you'll probably have like a a secondary artist or cleanup artist or you might yeah like an inker Yeah. yeah line artist and inker things like that um so while the as i understand that the writers tended to do all right um, the artists got kind of screwed over very frequently by both DC and Marvel, uh, especially during the 90s and probably the 80s. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and so they decided, hey, screw this. We're going to go make our own uh, comic book house whose main principle is that artists will retain uh, rights to whatever intellectual properties they create or sort of spearhead. Mm-hmm. And so ra- rather than, you know, where Marvel and DC could just screw artists out of the things they created because they own them all, uh, Image would defer those rights to their original creators. And that yep. that's pretty cool from a business yeah. standpoint. Yeah, the concept of Image Comics is very, very cool. And yeah, that's a pretty good summary of what happened there. Yeah. Now, uh, the problem is uh, you had a new comic book house primarily staffed by artists. <laughs> and they're all uniquely terrible at their jobs. They also didn't bring many or any writers with them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of these books were not only illustrated by the artist, but also written by the artist, which in some cases worked out, such as, like, Todd McFarlane. Like, Spawn's going to become a big thing, and Todd's going to earn a lot of money from that. Yes, he is. However, to say that Spawn was successful on the strength of its stories and narratives probably wouldn't be accurate. Probably not accurate, no. Yeah, and everything else that happened there, like... Uh, God, what was it? Um, like books such as Apache che- uh, Apache Tears, or oh. which I actually I actually own the second issue to Apache Tears, and it's like in like mint grade for some reason. I have no idea why. Um, comic is undestroyable, or like <laughs> Jim Lee's Wildcats, and oh, whatever Rob Leefield was up to, or oh, whatever he was up to. Yeah, like. It was basically a bunch of incredibly, incredibly terrible comics, and while they basically existed for the better part of a decade, they did eventually go belly up, but not before they made a Kiss comic. Oh, boy. And oh my god, this comic would be called Todd McFarlane Presents Kiss Psycho Circus. It really is the perfect partnership. It really is. Like, of course this existed. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. I can see it in my mind without ever having seen it. (laughs) Oh, would you like to see the cover of it? I would, but I feel like I already have. You probably have. Okay, this is somehow worse than I was expecting. (laughs) This is somehow... (laughs) I'm somehow disappointed. Once again, we'll have this up on the media page for the podcast, but, um... Oh, boy. This is a lot to unpack. Alex, you want to describe this for the audience? I don't know if I can. Um, there are many faces. Some of them are circus-related. Some of them are kiss-related. One of them appears to be wildcat-related, but also kiss-related. Mm. One is a melting clown. Um, <laughs> I can't parse this. So, I'll help you out. <laughs> so, there are a collection of characters in the center of this, in front of a basically a big top tent. Um, along the edges of the comic book, you can see the four faces of the different members of KISS. And in the center, you can see different members of a freak show circus, including 
a ringmaster whose hat looks like it's been absolutely mauled, and he looks like he's been mauled. Aforementioned melting clown. Um, whatever the dude clad in purple is, I I don't know. He's he appears to be like the sad clown crossed with Deadpool. Yeah, it's unsure. His deal is never explained. By the okay. way, okay. Um, uh, a what appears to be some sort of like like other like either like beast tamer sort of person with like a real rad mustache. Yeah, and then an old uh, old fortune teller woman who's going to become very relevant. Yes. Uh, also, this is subtitled Psycho Circus in mm-hmm. a font that renders the word circus nearly unreadable. Yeah, yeah, you, you cannot tell that is an R. You cannot tell that is an R at all. No. Is, oh, boy. So the origins of this comic are pretty, pretty great. Uh, basically, Gene Simmons met with Todd McFarlane and, you know, they talked a bit, bounced some ideas off each other and... Todd was like, yeah, sure, your latest album is really great, and we could probably earn a lot of money off of this, so I'm totally for it. And Gene was in the process of putting together a new KISS tour called The Psycho Circus. Okay. That um, was uh, hopefully going to release lead into their release of their 18th and final album. So final, they're still, still touring and putting out final albums to this day. Uh, of course. Psycho Circus. So. A lot of psycho circuses being thrown right. around here. Yep, yep. <laughs> Which is, you can see why we're talking about all this. So Gene really wanted to push this partnership because he wanted to take Kiss in a new direction. He was really inspired by like the heavy metal scene, particularly Alice Cooper, mm. and he wanted to kind of like that harder sort of edge. And which I, I get that because it's always sort of the style their aesthetic is gone for. Mm-hmm. They just never really knew how to make music in that style. Yeah, and I, I think it's pretty important for the people at home that uh, we kind of share a little bit of their music and maybe give them an idea of like what exactly we're talking about. Right. So here's a good five-second clip that we're going to do of uh, their most famous song, Rock and Roll All Night, which is released back in the 70s. And it's important we listen to this because we're going to listen to a tr- their... Uh, their track from their album Psycho Circus, also called Psycho Circus. Mm. And I want you to see what sort of evolution they had in their music over literally a 20-year period. Right. So... Yeah, so basically that's, you know, it sounds kind of like that. It sounds like a very poppy sort of rock right. music, right? Not, not the kind of music you'd really expect from people dressed up as metal evil clowns fighting god yeah exactly exactly and they wanted to sound you know like have like more of like a heavy metal like kind of like real edge sort of to it they wanted their they wanted their music to sound sort of like sort of like this picture here that i'm going to show you alex like they wanted to look something like that like very hard edge you know like grimy blood and whatnot right babies being eaten ozzy osbourne sort of look right (laughs) so yeah that's true ozzy osbourne really sort of followed them up with a much more on point style yeah yeah exactly exactly and so this leads to you know their their band releasing the song psycho circus 
Alex, do you want to hear what Psycho Circus sounds like? I do. I've never heard it. All right. Let me change back to this window. Yeah, so as you can see, it sounds exactly the same. Yeah. Nothing about him has changed over 20 years. Oh, boy. <laughs> um, that, ooh, boy, that song is a lot. It is. Oh, my God, it is. And I know it seems like we're kind of harping on this for no reason, but my point is that they were trying to do this, like, very gothic, very hardcore sort of thing, both with right. the video game Psycho Circus and the comic book. Right. And it doesn't mash up with Kiss at all. It's no. hilarious. Um, uh, but, but yeah, so, yeah. yeah, so they wanted to like kind of have this harder edge and they were hoping that Todd McFarlane was going to help them with that. Oh, also, um, so Gene Simmons wanted to take their music in a new direction and sort of evolve the band mm-hmm. for their final album. Yes, it was going to be their final album. And yeah, they are still putting out albums and right. they're still touring to this day. Yeah, but, it's But also he was he was doing a whole new thing for the last one and then nothing else? <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> didn't didn't he think that they might find some interesting things to build on musically in this new style and want to continue evolving that sound? Well, I I think the thing is, is that I think a lot of this, what they've been, what they said in interviews and whatnot, is just kind of bullshit. Yeah, yeah. Because once again, um, from that blog that I mentioned earlier, they did a review of Psycho Circus, mm. and that's where that line came from: of Kiss is a a corporation first, a band second. Right. They are going to protect the corporation, so they were never going to change the music that much. Right. Because they knew what their fans liked, and they had a, they still have a very, very loyal fan base to this day. Right. So, yeah, I, I think it's more they were just hoping that all the imagery around it would kind of change the perception of their music mm-hmm. as opposed to actually change the music themselves. Right. So once again, yeah, they got Todd on the phone like, hey, how about we do this? And he went, OK, this good book is going to be made by Todd McFarlane. And by made by Todd McFarlane, <laughs> I mean, it's going to be made by unrelated artist and writer at Image Comics. Oh, boy, that's Todd. Yep. Specifically, it's going to be written by Brian Holgren, and it is going to be done by a a team involving uh, artist team involving you know, Angel Medina, Kevin Conrad, Kiff Schultz, uh, among others. I think we need to talk a little bit about what the heck this thirty one issue book is about. My God! Yes, and I read all thirty one issues. Oh boy! How was that experience? It was maybe one of the worst things I have ever read in my life. <laughs> it's so bad. It is so bad. So this book is about a traveling circus called the Psycho Circus. Very, It takes place in a modern day. And the whole idea behind it is that there are four members that are a part of this circus. Technically five, actually. There's five members. Mm-hmm. So there is... Uh, Madam Raven, she is the fortune teller woman, and she is kind of like the center of it all. Mm -hmm. Uh, She is an old woman who is able to commune with what is called the Elder God. The Elder God is also known as the four in one. 
The four in one are four separate avatars, each representing an element, fire, air, water, and earth. Okay. Now, these are members, the members of the band Kiss, essentially. Okay. Now, what these avatars do is that they can go into the bodies of people who they have signed a pact with and embody them in order to either bring retribution or give ironic lessons to people, which is what this entire book is about. It's usually very, very bad morality plays such as, oh, you were a murderer your entire life and you hunted people. Well, I guess you're about to be hunted by the Beast King. How sad. We just reverse things on you. Right. Murderer man. Okay, sure. <laughs> so. These four and one consist, of course, of the demon, Gene Simmons, who embodies vengeance and terror, the darkest impulses of mortal souls, but also the flames of rebirth. He is the element of fire. There is the star bearer, a.k.a. Paul Stanley, who draws from the deep wells of the soul and emotion and is the bringer of passion and pain. He can move a heart to tender love or murderous rage. His element is water. He basically shows up whenever there's a lady character to be like, I have a lot of roses. Oh. Is that's cool. Look at my garden. Right. There is the celestial who represents the principles of universal balance, the ultimate harmony of the cosmos, observes situations dispassionately and sees all sides of the dilemma. He does nothing this entire comic. His <laughs> element is air. And finally, the king of beasts. He personifies the primal animal instinct, the rough beast that stirs in each of us, embracing instinct rather than intellect. He knows neither cruelty nor mercy his element is earth so yeah together they are said to form a spectral tribunal of sorts meting out either retribution or redemption to mortals i feel like the elements don't really need to be there they don't the only one it works for is the demon because he literally spits flames right like the you could have just said the four are the demon, the star child, the beast king, and the celestial, and those are your four elemental spirits of the universe. Yep. You don't need the fire, the water, earth and air. No, you do not. You do not at all. Yeah, so the fact that they're even here is kind of useless like even that little detail is like kind of useless. Yeah. And like the whole thing involving like the elder is like barely really touched on we just know the elder has created everything he's been around forever sure and then at some point though he had a disagreement with himself and that's how like he split apart into four and they all went their separate ways for like half a second and came back together oh it's all sorts of weird yeah okay so how these avatars these four in one relate to the actual circus is that there are four members of the circus. Once again, five members, if you count uh, Madame Raven. Mm -hmm. And they all, they all have really weird backstories to them. So once again, uh, Madame Raven, she is a fortune teller who usually like somebody will come into the psycho circus and be like, hey, man, I heard you're a fortune teller. Can you tell me my fortune? And then she's like, a member of KISS is going to come and mess you up because you did something that you've repressed. And then there's a morality play that happens. That's like literally her entire thing. I see. And her backstory is that she lived in the 17th century or so as a member of the Roma people. She knew magic and she met up with like a bunch of people who basically dressed themselves as like Victorian versions of Kiss. Uh-huh. And they wanted to use her to gain the power of the four and one in order to remake like 
literally the universe. Mm-hmm. So she like agreed to help them if they would let her people go. And so when they summoned the four in one, they showed up, murdered everybody except for uh, Lady Raven, uh, Lady Ravina. But they forced her to become part of this circus in order to go and travel the world and meet different souls that they could form contracts with. And also, once again, dole out retribution and redemption as they saw fit. Did the circus already exist at this point? It sort of did, yeah. Apparently it was part of the Roma people in the first place. Okay. Yeah, How it's old are circuses. I mean, circuses are pretty old in the grand scheme of things. I mean, I think the earliest circuses are from the 18th century. Okay. Yeah. So other characters that we end up meeting during this include uh the ringmaster known as Blackwell the Devil. He's a highwayman in medieval England who gets betrayed by his partner. Mm-hmm. And he becomes so full of hate that the demon found him and offered him a pact. Become a vessel of the elder and serve as an instrument of revenge, which he then agreed to. And because of that, he was bound to the psycho circus as their ringmaster. Fortuna, Fortunato, I'm sorry. A small frumpy clown. He's the melty clown we saw earlier. Okay. A man who lived as a clown in the days of Napoleon in France. He was in love with a fellow performer who had an abusive husband, whom he then poisoned at dinner. Okay. This sa- Yeah, and this is portrayed as a good thing. Right. Because uh, he was abusive. This sadly caused his fellow performers, though, to commit suicide. Heartbroken, he confessed his crime, and as he awaited his death, he was found by the star bearer, and he entered a pact with him. Tiberius. He was a mighty hunter who hunted a white lion, and upon killing this white lion with a ceremonial spear... He was found by the Beast King, who it turned out was, like, inhabiting the lion. And he was like, Mm -hmm. you're pretty rad. How about we form a pact? And finally, Stargrave, a mute performer. He was found as an orphan and raised by a kindly priest. However, one day, the priest died, and in his grief, he attempted suicide by leaping off from the top of the church. But as he fell, he was met by the Celestial, who offered him a pact. So these all four are now traveling as part of the Psycho Circus, and then whenever, like, the elders are like, hey, we need Gene Simmons to go and breathe fire on somebody, uh, Ringmaster, guess you're going to turn to Gene Simmons now. That just sort of happens, and they go out and do their thing. Oh. Uh, yeah, right? Okay. I was kind of with it up to that point. <laughs> but the... Mm. <laughs> I find the fact that the members of KISS are sort of like the ultimate incarnations of the elements to be sort of, I don't know, boring. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) What if I tell you at one point to go to Japan? (laughs) Of course they do. (laughs) You want to see Gene Simmons with a katana? Of course, it's a comic book in the 90s. Of course they go to Japan. But yeah, you're totally not wrong. It's like, it's the most obvious sort of storyline. It feels like the most obvious fantasy storyline you can possibly do. Yeah. Like, hey, you got four elements, and the these elements represent different things, but we're not actually going to really explore how they represent those different elements at all. Right. And also, there's just going to be the members of KISS for some reason. Right. Because that's the license we have. You could literally sub in anybody else, and the story works just fine. Yeah, it's... So it's already off to, like, a terrible start, and it's not helped by the fact that its art is 
just terrible in a very <laughs> mid 90s sort of way. Yeah. I Alex, I'm going to show you a picture of a of somebody and I want you to tell me how old they are. Right. Okay, um it's going to be the uh the person on the far left. Okay. Uh uh Yeah, so how old do you think that that person is? 4013. <laughs> That is a lumpy person. That is a very lumpy person. So for those of you who aren't seeing it, it is a... Um, first off, he's he's supposed to be, like I think, 13. Uh, there's a 13-year-old who looks like if Kurt Cobain didn't die and he just did all the drugs until he was 40. Yeah. He looks kind of like this kid whose name is Adam Moon. Uh, the art... There's, like, way too many lines on screen. Like, there's, like, weird shadows all over the place. The art... I think the best way to describe the art is the art is, like, very knuckly. As in, if I can look yeah. at the knuckles and whatnot, they're, like, a little too pronounced. Like, yeah. everybody has arthritis, which is a very common uh, image comic book sort of look, by the way. Right. Yes. So, sort of the problem to me is that, okay, I think Rob Liefeld is just straight up a hack but if you yeah. look at todd mcfarlane and uh jim lee they have a very much they have an artistic style it's like very idealized very hyper masculine but it they sort of make it work mm -hmm. and that that's why they're popular is because they do it well yeah the problem is that everyone especially at image comics either tried to or was told to sort of imitate that style. And not everyone can do it in a way that works. No, no. Like this picture I'm, uh, I am yeah. I have on screen right now. Oh, These two boy. incredibly buff people. Yes. In a way that, I, that doesn't work. No, no, it does not. That, that, that needs to be less. Mm-hmm. It needs to be less. It needs to be less. Yeah, and it, yeah. So those of you who don't know, like Todd McFarlane got really big, like drawing uh, both Batman Year Two and uh, Spider Man, mm. and like his art on both of those is incredible for the time. Yeah, like he's a he's a very very talented artist, but because of that, a lot of people tried to imitate that style, and they were not quite as good as he is. Yeah, not so like they. They looked at the elements style. of it instead of the aesthetics of it, is how I describe it. Yeah, yeah, it's... And yeah, it ends up becoming, like, an absolute mess, like we are seeing on screen right now. What's gets yeah. will be in the media file as well. So, so yeah, like, you see all this art, and you're like, man, nothing about any of this makes any sort of sense. Like, like what is even going on in any of this? Like, what's... What's going on with this ringmaster right oh, here? Oh, God. What's going on with all this text on the side? Like, it's... Oh, yeah, the freaking font nightmare. Yeah. Like, oh, God. It is going for a real style here that makes this comic very difficult to actually follow. Yeah. So, issue one starts out with us following Adam Moon, our Kurt Cobain stand-in. Uh, as he bas we basically find out that you know he's being abused by his dad, and he really wants to fall in love with this. Well, he fall he's fallen in love with this other like high school girl, and all this other nonsense. And then, but he really, really just hates his dad. So like mm -hmm. Gene Simmons ends up inhabiting 
well, doesn't have his body, but it has ringmaster, goes and murders his dad, essentially, and comes back and is like, this is what you wanted, right? Because this is the darkness that's in your heart. How will you take this? Will you accept it? And he's like, nah, I, I don't. I'm going to reject this. And that's like the right choice. So his dad lives, and he like wanders like the woods of West Virginia for the rest of his life. Wait, and is like, that the whole story? That is the whole first two issues, yes. Oh, does does that kid continue to be in the comic he shows up at the very end as oh. an adult. okay yes. so he's not our protagonist he no they they lull they like lull you into this like like false sense of security like this is going to be our main point person and then they go right. no actually it's not yeah it's just 100 percent. they decide that actually no this is just going to be like like episodic issues where oh. like we will meet different people who will end up uh, being confronted by the different members of KISS about crimes they have committed, usually thought crimes, as it turns out. Like, you right. thought evil thoughts once, and you wanted to murder this person. Well, what happens if they actually die? Right. And so, it's like, go away, Paul Stanley. I I don't need this right now. Yeah. So, okay, so there's this kid, and he has, like, dark thoughts, and so the demon is like, oh, look, dark thoughts... And so he sends the ringleader, who is the avatar of the demon, to become Gene Simmons, who is also the avatar of the demon, mm -hmm. to act out those dark thoughts in front of the kid who is synergizing with the demon. To... What is this? Yeah, basically. Yeah, basically, yeah. Like, he's like, man, I hate my teacher. And then, like, his teacher ends up getting beaten up. Right? He's like, I hate my dad. And his dad gets, like, nearly murdered. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The, so shouldn't entire... he become the demon? That's the thing. They set it up like he's going to be, but no, he isn't. But the ringleader's already the de. This is this is a mess. It's a complete mess, and it, like you know that all that backstory about like the ringleader yeah. and like the celestial and all that. Yeah, like they don't explain that until like issue seven. Oh, okay. <laughs> So, like, each of these issues is just like, oh, man, here's this, like, hitman murderer. Oh, no, the King of Beasts shows up. It's the Catman from Kiss. Oh. <laughs> He's going to turn him into a dog now and maul him. Um, yeah, it's, it is such an incomprehensible comic at the start <laughs> because they just don't bother to explain anything. Right. But, hey, good news. By issue 10, they decide, hey, we should actually have a multi-part arc involving an actual enemy that may be able to stand up to the awesome band known as Kiss. Right. So it turns out that when the Elder split into these four, these four and one avatars and they went their separate ways for half a second, mm -hmm. this ended up allowing a destructive being to be born. He was born in the chaos that was left behind by the Elder, and his name was the Destroyer, also known as the Nightmare King. Okay. So, as man continued to live and continued to have evil thoughts, these fed into the power of the Nightmare King and made him stronger and stronger. And eventually, though, he was able to just exist on his own, or at least exist in a way that allowed him to inhabit the soul of another person. In this case, he inhabited the body of a man by the name of Joshua Child. And one day, he finally gathered enough power that he was able to rise up and use his reality-bending ben power to turn people into demons, 
basically make people go crazy and start partying and murdering and doing all sorts of like depraved things. Mm-hmm. And more importantly, gave him the power to attack the elder himself. So the Nightmare King ra- rises up and whatnot, and he immediately takes the fight to the Psycho Circus and like destroys it. And so the avatars are forced to leave the bodies of um of like the ringmaster Tiberius and all that uh-huh. and just attack him directly. But uh, the nightmare child is so not the nightmare child, the uh, nightmare lord, nightmare king. He has so many different names. Yeah. <laughs> the nightmare king is able to defeat them and he cha- and he like straps them to the crosses and whatnot. Um not 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 the Christian cross, but like you know just like an X cross. Right, sure. And is like, yes, I have defeated them, and soon I will consume their powers and control the universe, and I will use that to destroy everything in order to just lay waste to the decadence of man and what have you. I thought he was causing the decadence of man. Yes, but he wants to do that in order to create such a wild party that will essentially destroy all of humanity, destroy all of everything, and basically reduce the universe to nothingness. Wouldn't Kiss be kind of into that? You know, you think so, but apparently not. All right. Apparently not this version of Kiss. This new metal version of Kiss. Right. Who is known for loving to party. Mm-hmm. They have a song that literally is about them partying all night. Yeah. <laughs> and also every day. Yeah. <laughs> so. <laughs> <laughs> what is the branding at this point? I don't know, Alex. <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> so you're probably thinking, okay, there's going to be like this really huge like resolution or like some sort of like, like, you know, the people who are like were the avatars of like Kiss were and had to like get up and like help them stop the evil nightmare child or do something that would not be just like a deus ex machina that they just somehow managed to defeat this ultimate evil, right? Right. Um. You'd be wrong. Okay. So all those people that like were like the the bodies for for the four and one and whatnot, uh-huh. they just are like slowly dying. And what happens is that the um, members of Kiss just magically escape and become more powerful and then defeat the Nightmare Child. Who are the characters in this? <laughs> who who's who are we supposed to be rallying behind as the protagonists of this? So that's the thing, like. It isn't after until after these issues that we actually get more backstory about like the ringmaster or Tiberius or um Melty Clown or any of them. Oh, they just like, sort of have their all is lost moment before we know who they are. Yeah, like we learn a little bit about them beforehand, but we don't really learn a whole lot about them in, until afterwards as well. Oh. Yeah, it's it's kind of weird how this how this whole arc kind of goes. You do have like a point of like view character that is with them by the name of Kismet, who is this woman who committed suicide, but then like the star child found a star bearer. My apologies. Mm. Found her and was like, Hey, you hang out with the psycho circus. Uh, you get to live that cool. And like, she's like, man, we need to do something to stop them. Lady Raven or Madam Raven. And she's like, we can't do anything. It's up to the elder now. Oh, so but yeah, she, ends, she ultimately doesn't do anything either. So it's just the the members of the band Kiss, who are also aspects of the Elder God, just mm-hmm. take care of it. Yes. But also they, they're just elemental aspects of a higher power. 
they're not people or characters. They are not, no. They um they are aspects of the elder and are the elder if they are together. Right. And yeah, they fight the Nightmare King, are defeated, but then just get powerful again and like like in a total like Goku sort of way and just right. beat him. And then he's like, Oh no, I thought I killed you, and like, you can't kill us. Wait, and why they do just... they need to inhabit people? What's the point of that? That's a great question. When they think it just sort of show up. Yeah. And... <laughs> it's almost like they didn't think about that part in this comic. What is the point of the psycho circus? The point of the psycho circus is to go around and find people who are in need of either redemption or retribution. Okay. By having them come in, meet with uh, Madame Raven, and then she cryptically tells them about how their lives are empty or whatever. Why? Why isn't that just kiss? Right. Why doesn't the band Kiss just do that? It would make more sense, wouldn't it? It sort of would make more sense. And you wouldn't have to do elaborate backstories for all these characters that you're then going to just sort of ignore and are... Like, here's the thing. Like, all these characters I've mentioned, like, they're somewhat prominently featured in the first few issues of this comic, and then they might as well disappear. Like, other than showing up, like, a page or two here and there. I feel like someone just wanted to draw an evil circus. I think they did. And then after they defeat the Nightmare King, they go to Japan and they just ignore all that for like a good six issues. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, it's... So for those listening at home, yeah, this is this kind of, this pretty much tracks with Image Comics. This is how it goes. Yeah, it's all over the place. The story barely makes any sort of sense and they don't bother to stick with basic concepts that they have set up for longer than 30 minutes. It's great. It's great. Yeah. I love it. Oh, boy. I had to reread this comic so many times in order to, like, actually have a good through line as far as what was going on. <laughs> yeah. So, the point is, they defeat the Nightmare King. Okay. And after that, you're like, okay, well, this comic book is over, right? It isn't. Like, they go to Japan for six episodes, for six issues, but it's also the past. Uh, oh, then they oh come it's back. past Japan. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it involves a samurai and whatnot. Okay, yeah. though that's, that's new? Yeah. Yeah, it's actually a longer... If I, if I remember correctly, it's a longer story arc than the actual Nightmare King. Okay. I think it's like four issues in total. Like right. the actual arc that's in the center of that. Right. Yeah, and then like they go back to like having like weird morality plays in, the, in present times. Until they get to the very end when Adam Moon shows back up and it's like, I'm an adult now. I keep having memories about this weird band. Don't know what's up with that. And oh. then Gene Simmons so shows up. It's like, our business is not done with you. Except it, it, their business is done with them. And it may sound like I didn't read this and there's like no good end. Like, I didn't know what the ending is to this, but it literally just sort of ends. Oh, yeah. that. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, literally, it's like. Hey, what do you mean? I thought our business was concluded. And they go, well, I guess it was later. Oh. Yeah, it's absolutely, absolutely stupid. <laughs> this, this doesn't make any sense. It doesn't. It does not make any sense. The only things we really need to like pick out from that is that there was a Nightmare King. Okay. Because the Nightmare King, once he was defeated left a void that allowed the Nightmare Child to be born. And that's where we finally get back to Kiss, <laughs> colon, Psycho Circus. Right. Colin the Nightmare Child. 
Oh. The sequel to the popular comic book based off of the hit album mm-hmm. f- premiering with the sold out world tour. Yep. Yep. The same thing. No one remembers any of this. Nobody does. It's whenever you say <laughs> kiss, people still just think of rock and roll all night. Mm-hmm. None of this made any impact on Kiss. <laughs> Which is why this is the perfect Halloween episode. It matters zero. There's <laughs> nothing about this matters. <laughs> but it is such a fascinating look into, like, the weirdest multimedia project oh, I have ever found. Boy. Yeah, this is this is wild. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, they used, they based this game upon this comic. <laughs> And he went, okay, well, we have this cool storyline. Let's just say that there's a nightmare child that's about to be born. Right. And if you can't gather the armor, kiss his armor, and destroy the nightmare child in his realm before he's born, then the universe will be unraveled and everything will be destroyed. Okay, so who do you play as in this game? That's the thing. You would think you would play as the members of the Psycho Circus, right? Right. You would be wrong. Okay. Okay. You play once again as a Kiss tribute band, right? Which is, right. which also means canonically Kiss exists in this universe. Yeah, are they also the elements? Um, I sort of. <laughs> that, I mean, the elements are still going to be just the uh, the avatars that inhabit them. But yeah, you go to each of their like different realms, like right. And you can select. You would at the start, you can select one of four characters. Um, these characters are the Star Bearer, which is going to be which inhabits the Paulo Ramirez. Who looks like kind of like a buff knockoff of Gene Simmons. Okay. The Beast King, Patrick Scott, who is like a Celtic warrior looking dude. Uh, long red hair, long red beard. Andy Chank, who's the Celestial, who I forget what he looks like. Right. Which it tracks with the Celestial being the most unimportant person in this entire thing. Right. And finally, Gabe Gordo, who is a bald tank top wearing man with like very small sunglasses who is inhabited by the demon. Okay. Yeah. So you pick one of these characters and you go to each of the realms, which is still just like this random city that they're in. Right. But like interspersed within the city is like, here's this gothic church called the Indigo Palace. And in here you could fight the Arachna Clown, which is a clown with spider metal spider legs or all these other like weird nonsense creatures that honestly like like they will when i said they like they look like rejects from todd mcfarland's spawn it's mm-hmm. because they literally are yeah like one of them is like this blind man who has spikes in his eyes a spikes along his back and he can pull out those spikes and throw them at you and uh, yeah. but the best part best part is all throughout this game like with this like very heavy metal sort of sort of tone, there's a ton of kiss music in it. <laughs> and so like you're walking around in like this dark and foreboding area and you just hear, We're gonna rock and roll all oh, night. God. You're like, this doesn't match up at all. Yeah. What, what are we doing here? Which again, it's... on brand. Mm-hmm. Exactly, exactly. While you're fighting torso spiders and dog dinosaurs. Sure. So yeah, as you go through this, you find different pieces of the armor, which like power you up throughout the game, and eventually you assemble like the armor for one of the avatars, and then you move on to the next character and do the same thing. All the while, Madame Raven is kind of giving you narration of what you're doing, like, you need to go to the Indigo Palace, but beware the Arachna Cloud. I love the Arachna Cloud, <laughs> you can tell. Yeah. And 
they don't go any further into the story though past that even when you reach the nightmare child they're mm-hmm. like you must defeat the nightmare child or else the universe will become unraveled and it's like where's the nightmare child come from and it's like well if you read the comics you would know that there was a nightmare king and and if you read like the manual and like some of the pre-release you know, coverage of this you would know that you know he left the void when he was defeated and that's what allowed the nightmare child to begin gestating and soon to be born but none of it's ever explained right you just defeat the nightmare child and at the end of the game you see your avatars basically playing a bunch of kiss music <laughs> and then the game just sort of ends oh okay so wait okay so you play as members of a kiss tribute band who are inhabited by the elements? Yes. And then when you collect the armor, do you transform into the elements? Yes, you do. Okay. And then when the game ends, are you still the elements? I guess so. Okay. It's sort of, like I said, it very abruptly ends and just cuts to a scene where you are playing a bunch of Kiss songs with the rest of your bandmates while as the avatar in front of all the enemies in the game. So it's probably not canonical. It's right, probably just probably we wanted to canon. just do something. Okay, where are the other members of the Psycho Circus? The, excellent question. The Psycho Circus, as far as I know, is only mentioned once. And you have to go to, quote, the heart of the Psycho Circus to find the Nightmare Child. So I guess they're all dead. Oh. So psych- the Nightmare Child is there messing them up or something. Oh, okay. I, I feel like as the embodiments of the elements uh i feel like they should have been the ones doing all this first of all yeah but they've already established they could just do it if they want to yeah yeah okay <laughs> and that's that's kiss colon psycho circus colon the nightmare child alex how are you feeling after all this i'm i'm oh boy i'm <laughs> This is why cross-media projects need a, a lead creative authority mm-hmm. to sort of shepherd the whole thing. And I guess that was supposed to be Gene Simmons, so... Oh, well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, it, it was very clear from the start that like it was like Todd McFarlane talking about, yeah, man, I'd bounce ideas back and forth with Gene. He's really involved in all of this, at least in relation to the comic. Yeah. But, like, we all know what that meant. He was just like, hey, I sent you a picture of this clown. He's like, rad, I like right. clowns. Gene and that Simmons was it. Looks over, looks at it over a mountain of blow and goes, yeah, man. Rad, I'm going to ha- get mo- how much money from this? Perfect. And then Todd's like, well, I'm not going to actually write this comic. Hey, other people at Image Comics, g- get this done. And then there we go. So yeah, like this... And so, yeah, it just ends up being a complete mess of ideas all cobbled together. And yeah. then somebody decides to make a video game f- about it and then forgets to put all those elements into said video game. And that's what you, and that's how you get Kiss Psycho Circus. Ah. Okay, I, I only have one question. Hit me. How does all of this tie into Scooby-Doo meets Kiss? Oh, man. Is, so you see, is Shaggy, Shaggy the avatar of the demon? That's kind of what I was thinking. <laughs> Scrappy Doo's the nightmare child. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Velma is the is the star bearer. Yeah, 
Oh, yeah, halfway through, inexplicably, there's just um, sexy lady kiss members now. Oh, okay, that makes sense. Yeah, they just somebody decided, like, we wanted to draw, you know, big breasts to Starbearer, yeah, which is, okay. that's cool. Just, yeah, that that tracks. Yeah. Yeah, the, those last few comics had no idea what they were doing. It's great. Yeah. I don't think but the yeah. first few did either. <laughs> I think you're not wrong. I think you're not wrong. Oh, well, Alex, I hope you feel pretty enlightened and now know so much more about Kiss's really, really dumb side projects that uh, you'll, you'll go and seek out uh, their future comic endeavors from like IDW and whatnot. I feel like I know less about it than when I didn't know it existed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, me too. Me too. At least IDW has writers who can do like a half decent fan fiction story. Yeah, at least. They seem like people who could actually, you know, pull off a story arc. Yeah, they kind of can. I mm. think I read some of their Transformers stories, and those were fine. Hmm. Yeah. Their their yeah, alien comics were supposed to be pretty alright. Yeah. And I'm sure their KISS comics are I don't know. They at least involve Kiss in some way. Probably. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> Probably more so than the actual Kiss Psycho Circus comics. Uh, yeah. Do you have anything else to add, Alex? My final parting thought is, I think Kiss is the prototype for Insane Clown Posse doing what Kiss wanted to actually do. And I say that as someone with no investment in Insane Clown Posse. That's actually a good point. Like, around this time is when Insane Clown Posse was starting to get popular, and they literally are... Insane Clown Posse... If the Insane Clown Posse put out a first-person shooter about a psycho circus, that would track 100%. Yeah, I'd be like, oh yeah, of course they did. That makes complete yeah. sense. Of course they did. Oh, man. There's a shocking lack of Insane Clown Posse video games that aren't wrestling-related. Yeah, they, they should... I want to say they should get on that, but you know what? Maybe maybe they should just stick I, to their niche. I think the ship has sailed on that, yeah. unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah, that's going to do it for us today. Thank you for joining us on this spooky Halloween, and I hope, uh, hope this has inspired you to read more incredibly terrible Kiss comics, like the one where they have a crossover with Vampirella. Or perhaps, you know, Drink so much alcohol and eat so much candy that you forget about uh, Kiss in its entirety. Honestly, both both are, both would work, and I'm probably going to do both myself. But yeah, if you all want to listen to more episodes like this, remember to go to ftp.podbean.com or go to YouTube and search Fallen Through Plot Holes. We're also on Apple Play, Apple Podcasts, and Google Play as well. Look for Fallen Through Plot Holes. But that's going to do it for us. Alex, thank you for joining me, as always. Thank you. This was fun glad you enjoyed it and take care everybody take care